speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. What we have not but need, please give us. What we know not but should know, please teach us. And what we are not, in your mercy, please make us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. The story of Jesus starts way back before the bright star of Bethlehem. According to Luke, it begins with a barren old couple. Both came from priestly families. Today, they'd be the ideal clergy couple. But back then, it was only the man who could be the vicar. Elizabeth's job was to have priestly children, only she didn't. Luke puts it bluntly, she was barren. It was considered to be her fault. And uh, Zechariah had every good legal reason to divorce her, but he didn't. Because these two old dears shared something as important even as having children. It says of them, they were upright in the sight of God, and they were keeping all the Lord's commandments blamelessly. Oh, that that could be said of you and me. Upright in the sight of God, keeping all the Lord's commandments blamelessly. Not bad, eh? And it was... um, Quite unusual, because this was a godless age, the days of Herod the tyrant, whose slaughter of all the baby boys made the generals of Myanmar with their genocide mild by comparison, and the Jews had, as a result, been drifting away from God for years. And the priests, they were just going through the motions. But as always, God has his faithful remnant. And our story begins with two of the brightest of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And our series will end with another two golden oldies, Simeon and Anna. And we come across Zechariah as he's about to have the most memorable experience of his life. Uh, It was the time for the clergy of his deanery to take their turn in the temple at Jerusalem. And when they turned up for duty, they drew lots as to who was to do what, and he got the star prize. He alone would enter the sanctuary to burn incense on the holy altar, while the whole assembly of the people waited outside in prayer. He would, as a priest, represent the people before God. And when he'd finished there, they would wait for him and he would come outside to represent God to them, and like the Pope in Rome, he would bless the people. It was something a priest could only do once in his life, and many never got to do it at all. But on this occasion, there was an unexpected change to the order of service. He was rudely interrupted by God. When an angel appeared, he was terrified. Well, what did he expect? Maybe he was concentrating so hard on what he was doing to get it right, he forgot whose living room he was actually in. Or maybe he suffered from the curse of the professionally religious preacher, take note. We are so often frightened when God interrupts our routines. 
No, to, no need to be afraid, said the angel. He announces himself and his mission. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I'm sent with a message. I stand in the presence of God. When you read what the New Testament says about angels, that's quite exciting because Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 22 that when, when we die, when we go to heaven, we're, we're not like we are down here. We're not getting married and giving in marriage and so on. We will be like the angels standing in the presence of God, sent with a message. We shall be like the angels in beauty and strength with bodies no longer subject to disease, pain, or death. You see, Gabriel's been around quite a long time. He goes on to give the good news to Mary. But uh, some centuries before, he was talking to Daniel, chapter 8 tells us. I think angels are a bit different, aren't they? And one day we're going to be like the angels. Just take that in for a moment, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege. We shall be perfect, perfect, perfect like the angels in purity and holiness. No sin. No longer having to struggle with the awful moral dilemmas that we face now. That's the glorious prospect for all who know and love the Lord Jesus, that one day we shall be like the angels. We shall have work to do for him. We shall have messages to, do, to, 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 to take, no doubt. And I'm fascinated by what Jesus says in Matthew 18 about um, the children having their guardian angels. I don't know about you, but I've been very conscious of having what I can only call a guardian angel looking after me over the years preventing me from doing things I shouldn't do, or getting into a place where I might get hurt, or leading me to do things I ought to be doing. And even in recent days, I've constantly had moments when I was going in one direction and something has come along just at the appropriate time to steer me differently. You had that experience? I'm sure you have, so many of you. Now, I believe, this is purely my opinion, you must test it out because the Bible doesn't tell us much about this, I'm afraid, but I believe I have a guardian angel, and I believe that you and I will one day be guardian angels. What a privilege that would be, won't it? I'll leave that with you. You may like to talk about it in your house groups and, and see whether the preacher's talking a load of rubbish. Gabriel's task is to tell Zechariah about his unborn son. And what does he tell him? He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll bring many people back to God. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience back to righteousness. What a CV. Wow. Oh. Let me just, just touch on that little first phrase, though. He will be a joy and a delight to you. I have no doubt that your answer to the next question is a resounding yes. Do your family bring joy and delight to you? And I hear somebody say, sometimes. Of course they do. But do you tell them? We need to tell one another, don't we? People blossom, you know, when they're affirmed and encouraged. And I was really struck by that last week when 
my uh, younger daughter told me that she had just handed in her notice at the school where she's been working for the last 10 years. And her experience, she told me, of the day she handed it in to the surprise of the head, the deputy head and fellow staff, and they said to her, why on earth were you leaving us? You do such a wonderful job, you're just, (laughs) we need you. And her response was, but nobody ever said that to me. Nobody's ever given me a word of encouragement while I've been here. And that's the feeling of many of the staff in her school which will remain nameless. And as a result, you won't be surprised to hear that staff morale is very low because people flourish where they are affirmed and encouraged and not taken for granted. It's a lesson to us all, isn't it? Zechariah, godly man as he is, at the crucial moment finds his faith failing. There are echoes of Abraham and Sarah, aren't there? When they're told by the angel, you're going to have a, a young lad. Why, Sarah even laughs about it. I'm past it. But as the angel asks, is anything, anything, anything too hard for the Lord? I've no doubt that we have some sympathy for Zechariah. I certainly have. Waiting for so long. And it did feel as if they were past it now. Surely it's too late now. You're having me on, Gabriel. It's not funny. Maybe we need to learn, though, from him. Listen to what Gabriel says. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm here because he has sent me to tell you. Now, do you need more than that? The result, because he's... Not sure, and not sure that he believes it. You will be silent until the day of his birth. So, Zechariah is unable to speak for, let's say, about a year. We don't know how long before Elizabeth gets pregnant, but of course it's nine months after that. So, let's say it's about a year. It's a good period of time, isn't it? Some people look upon this as a punishment for doubt, because he was doubting. Well, Maybe, because he couldn't say anything nice, he wasn't allowed to say anything at all. It might be. May I suggest another possibility, and you must weigh it. I'd like to suggest that his silence was a gift, an enforced sabbatical, a gestation period of his own as he watches the signs of hope in the change of his wife's body. We could, if you like, call Zechariah the patron saint of the 21st century church. Like him, we have been waiting for a long time for our prayers to be answered. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We say it again and again, and we've said it for years. But when, Lord? How long, Lord? We're waiting, Lord. Aren't we? How can I be sure of this? Don't we feel for Zechariah? Maybe, just a suggestion for you to take away and mull, maybe it's time for us to claim the angel's gift of silence once again, to stop talking so much, and I will shut up in a minute, to shut our own mouths before the terrible mystery of God 
and see what the quiet has to teach us. Our age is one of bombardment, isn't it? In which the zoom lens brings us face to face with more pain and suffering and grief than we can bear. We're bombarded with images and words all the time. Each day feeds our addiction to data, to analysis, to the tantalizing illusion that someone actually might be able to tell us what's really going on. And meanwhile, very few words come at us without some hidden agenda to win our votes, to change our minds, to empty our wallets. After all, you're worth it. Words promise us things that they cannot deliver. And so often there's not much correlation between words and truth these days, is there? What would happen in a world like this if Christians were to become still and quiet, creating oases of silence for people whose ears ache and whose heads hurt from all the noise? What would happen if we stopped pretending we could read God's mind and just sat down somewhere to do nothing together, watching out for whatever God wanted to do in His new thing? I've put a line through the first Tuesday of every month in my 2022 diary. I'm going to have a quiet day on the first Tuesday of every month. So um, if you send me an email or a text, I shall not be looking at it and I shan't answer it, um, tempted though I may be. I shan't be looking at Facebook or WhatsApp. And actually I shall find it difficult to start with because I shan't have any music on, I shan't make any plans, I shall simply have a blank notebook and my Bible and I will seek to be quiet and wait and watch and listen and see what God does. I shall find it terrifying to start with. I shall find it very difficult because I love to have music on in the background all the time. But I'm going to seek. Please pray for me on the first Tuesday of every month. I ought to say in brackets here, and I really mean this, I'm conscious that for some... The last two years of COVID have contained far too much silence, and still does. But what if, when we did speak, we committed ourselves to telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, including all the things we don't know and can never know about God in this life? If we believed that silence is golden and is a virtue pleasing God and giving Him space for what He wants to say. Shall we have a moment of silence? Thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us. Please help us to take those times where we can listen to you and hear you where we can follow you closely because we're listening to you first instead of just plodding on. Help us, Lord, to find those quiet moments. 
In Jesus' name, amen.